Hi, everybody. It's Matt from Discover College Soccer. I hope you're enjoying the podcast, whether that's on YouTube or your favorite podcast platform. Don't forget to hit the subscribe button. I also wanted to let you know about the Discover College Soccer Study Table. This is our brand new online portal that is complete with a 14-part online course giving you all of the ins and outs of the college soccer recruiting process. There's also a wealth of resources such as checklists, templates, there's the spreadsheets that have every soccer program in the country along with their coaches, their contact information, their social media information, uh, some basic stats about the school and more. Plus there's an online community where you can ask your questions, share your wins, your losses, any questions that you may have around the college soccer recruiting process. It's all there at the Discover College Soccer study table that you can find at discovercollegesoccer.com slash study table and hopefully we will see you there. Hi, everybody. Welcome to Discover College Soccer. Today, I'm lucky enough to be joined by Coach Eric Faulkner from University of North Florida. Welcome, Coach. Matt, nice to be here. How are you doing today? Doing well, thanks. Happy to have you here. We we were lucky enough to meet in person about a month ago at your ID camp up in Jacksonville. Um, we're, you know, I'm down here in Bradenton. We made the drive up. It was a, you got a nice, beautiful campus, and 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 I think uh, we'll talk more about that later in, in your 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 stadium that maybe should be for football, but isn't, which is pretty awesome. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> but, uh, but let's start talking about recruiting first. I, like I said, we met at an ID camp. It's that, uh, and we were just talking before we got on about all the great showcases that are happening around here. You were in my neck of the woods just a couple days ago. So are you wrapped up with your 23s and looking at 24s kind of what's your, what is your calendar generally like each year with, yeah. with the way you're recruiting? Um, you know, it's different being on the women's side of the game. Uh, the men's soccer has a much different recruiting calendar than the women do as far as uh, just there's more programs on the women's side. I think that's a big factor in it. Um, and also from a development standpoint, I think the men like to wait a little bit longer um, on the recruiting side of things. So, you know, for us, you know, we start watching and identifying, um, you know, primarily players uh, for our program during their sophomore year, um, you know, for the most part. Um, we're never quite done with a class, per se, because you never know. Things do happen. But, yeah, we've been pretty wrapped up with our 23s for a, a, a bit. Um, you know, something came along that we felt piqued our interest. There's always that possibility. Um, we're still looking at 24 class, um, you know, as well. Um, and then started taking a peek at the 25s just because, for our class, and I think a lot of schools are going to be in this uh, same same situation with the COVID year that everybody kind of got that extra year of eligibility. I think that there are going to be um, a lot of graduating players in 24. So that'll be the the um, rising juniors that would be just came in and would play their four seasons. And then, of course, the rising seniors, which get the extra year eligibility. So they're kind of combining into one class, per se. So, you know, I think that from that standpoint, you know, a lot of schools are going to be looking heavily at 25s. And that could be a really large opportunities for student athletes, I think, for that particular class. If, if, if uh, From what I've been talking to other, other coaches, they're going to be in a similar situation we are, where we're going to graduate a lot of players at, in one class more than you normally would. Yeah, no, that makes sense. Well, in terms of where you like to see players, uh, you know, we, we mentioned you were down in brains for ECNL. Uh, and when you look at your roster, it's, it's 
fairly heavily Florida, which is not surprising. Yeah. So what what are some of the key events that you like to go to that are kind of on your must-see list each year? Yeah, I mean, we've done a lot of variety of different events from year to year and trying to hit different things. Um, you know, obviously, ECNL is one thing that um, is, is popular just because of the quantity of players you can see. Um, we've recruited at a Girls Academy events. We've recruited at a USYS, the variety of leagues that they do that. Um, you know, maybe it's a regional event or so forth. We've been to Disney. Um, you know, it just kind of depends on the year. And, you know, kind of we also kind of vary different uh, areas of the country. So if we go to a certain event, maybe um, in the Tennessee area, the southeast, maybe the next time we go to an event in North Carolina the following year or, or um, last year, I went to an ECNL event in, a new, in a new Jersey. But this year, I may decide to go to nationals and go to California. And so we try to vary our events and, but also not just look at one league. There's players everywhere. I think there's this perception that, you know, most players come out of ECNL, which a good number do um, definitely, but uh, you know, our team in particular, we have players that are ECNL players. We have players that played girls Academy. We had girls that played in the DA when that existed. Um, and we have girls that played USYS and, um, you know, in my career, I actually even had a goalkeeper one time that didn't play club soccer. She only played high school and basketball, and we you know, we ended up identifying her through a camp. So there's a lot of variety of ways you could identify players, um, you know, videos, uh, ID cams, those type of things. So we try to turn over as many rocks as we can uh, with the understanding that women's soccer isn't football or basketball. We're not necessarily able to fly around the country 24-7 and see everybody. But we try to do the best job we can in identifying uh, players and uh, following up on players that have expressed interest and in, 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 in there and try to build a roster from there. Okay. Now, obviously, uh, I know you do camps. <laughs> um, so how important are those camps in the overall recruiting process? And do you guys go to other camps as well? Yeah. I mean, we do go to some other camps. Um, you know, I will go to – I like to sometimes go to um, – the actual clubs identification camps because it gets a chance to see them in their more natural environment per se if they're playing around their club teammates um you know we use our id camp a couple ways obviously sometimes we find players we're not really aware of we've had that happen where someone we just didn't know um shows up at our camp and we like them and that's always a great thing to happen um if we are actively maybe looking at someone and we get them to come to our camp that gets us a chance to kind of work with them a little bit and that gives us a little bit more knowledge about the, the student athlete so that that could be very fruitful as well um so we kind of use them a variety of different ways and uh you know and also sometimes just um you get some younger players too that maybe get on your radar that you know or maybe a ninth grader or a tenth grader and um maybe it's again it gives you an opportunity to kind of down the line see them play in their natural club environment so what we try to do is we try to identify players that we feel like okay these are players that we're going to continue to track um if they're a little bit older maybe we got to move a little bit quicker but also see them hopefully play in their natural club environment um with their teams um, or high school, if that's if that's what's available, um, and that's kind of how we go about that process in China. Because I think the ID camp can be artificial sometimes because you're playing a lot of players you don't know. Um, it's a long day, um, but you kind of learn a lot, you know, coachability, those type of things. And then from there, if we can see them play, you know, with their normal team, um, when they're more comfortable, that's always a, a benefit. Yeah, you you could tell that uh, 
that day it was super hot and by the end of the day those girls were cooked the ball was moving yeah, pretty especially slow in February, right <laughs> yeah. so yeah we, it was uh weather's been a little bit warmer this uh this winter i guess for florida standards yeah. usually not too bad it doesn't yep. get too cold but uh yeah um it was uh, in the 80s, <laughs> 80s in the middle of february yeah so definitely not used to it well and this is this is a question i've been getting a lot recently and i'm just curious as to your take on it but how does social media come into play at all during recruiting? I've got, you know, people are like, I got parents saying, oh, I need to create an Instagram account for my kids so they can post their highlights because some coach is going to find that. Do, do you guys look at social media stuff in any way, shape, or form in your recruiting? Um, more so than I used to because it's become more prevalent, right? Sure. So, yeah, like um, I gain – I know I feel like I'm getting popular, but I gain a lot of Twitter followers like every day. And, you know, and this, um, but it is interesting, especially if someone you're interested in, maybe, you know, just kind of tracking them a little bit because you learn a little bit about, hey, I, you know, I, you know, want to want a district championship in high school this week. And, you know, things you may just know about them as they're kind of going through that process. So, you know, I think the big thing, you know, you see like Instagram, just soccer accounts. So be the player will put their highlights up there. You know, I, I think it's become more prevalent in the players, especially I think on the on the girls' side, especially are using it um, really well um, to get their name out and kind of promote their schedules and, you know, things like that. And so I know at ECNL this weekend, you know, my timeline was pretty much just schedules of games and if games got changed. And, um, you know, you do see that. And I think it's definitely useful. I mean, it's obviously a part of a tool that you can use to promote yourself. I still think contact is the best way um you know uh through obviously now more email than mail nowadays occasionally you still get a letter every once in a while which is kind of unique but you know i think contacting coaches staying with them but social media um for a variety of reasons is important in the recruiting process but also just learning about that individual too is so I, I try to tell people during their recruiting process that um you know coaches are checking social media too to see what kind of things you're posting and that type of thing too because that gives you a little bit of it of um, an idea about maybe their character and things like that. So um, I think it can go both ways, right? It can help you and it can also hurt you if you use it in the ways that are, you know, not putting you in the best light. But um, yeah, I'm sure you've noticed too. And, you know, there's more people helping promote the players and, and doing things and trying to help them. And I think that's a great thing, you know, the more information, the better, but it's definitely become a lot more prominent, I would say the last couple of years than it has ever been. Yeah, for sure. Well, whether it's a uh, camp, uh, showcase, anything else like that, kind of what is your hierarchy of things that you're looking for in a player that makes them stand? Whether it's on the field or off the field stuff. Yeah, I mean, I, I, we start everything with character. And I think, you know, um, I think that's the most important thing. So we do a lot of vetting of student athletes before we even start the recruiting process and try to talk to people just even outside the coaching staff. Um you know, can we get a hold of a guidance counselor? Can we get a hold of their high school coach? Can we get a hold of a, a former coach? Um, you know, that things, uh, teammates that may know them or maybe someone on our team that may know them. Um, and just try to vet as much as we possibly can to find out about character because, honestly, at the end of the day, um, the less problems I have once I get to college, the better for everybody involved. And so I think that's going to be important. Um, you know, so we do a really good job with that. You know, grades definitely factor in. I think that's really important, um, you know, from that standpoint, too. Again, we want to have good students and 
I think, you know, we want to kind of create a culture of highly driven people. And if they're driven academically, they're usually going to be driven on the soccer on soccer field as well. And then, you know, the components of the game are obviously important, you know, uh, the technical, tactical, physical, and psychological, they, they all, they all matter. Um, now, what I tell student athletes or soccer players all the time, you know, if there's something, if you're a super technical player, if you can become really, really good at something, that's fantastic. And it offset some other things. You know, sometimes it's the old adage, you know, some coaches like pure athletes over soccer players. You hear that sometimes, but athleticism is part of the game. You have to jump, you have to run, you have to cover ground. It is a part of the game. If that's not a strong suit for you, can you think the game quicker? Can you become tactically superior? So, you know, if you're not necessarily great at one thing, can you bump it up and another? I, um, psychological is probably the hardest one to, to tell. Um, a couple of things I like to do. A lot of my colleagues don't like, you know, I, I'm not a proponent of playing three games in three days, but in this country we do that sometimes, right? But I am a proponent of watching the third game in three days because I think you'll learn a little bit about the ability to grind or play through. And um, example, this ECNL event this past week, it was – kind of like the ID camp, it was really, really hot. And it was the third game in three days. And, you know, some players had shut it down. And then there's other players that are still trying to find a way. Tells you maybe a little bit about them. Um, and then I like high school games for the reason that I can learn a lot about leadership skills. Like if they're, you know, what, what, how are they with their teammates? Because they may take a more prominent role maybe with their high school team. Um, you know, and uh, how are, are they a captain? Are they a leader? How do they interact with the coaches, the officials, your teammates, your teammates look to them? It gives you a kind of a little bit different lens than maybe just club soccer. So I do like to do that as well. Some coaches don't, but I think you can learn a lot at a high school game as well because it's a totally different dynamic in many ways than club soccer. And um, I, I kind of find that a good way of, kind of looking at players, but, you know, ultimately it's a puzzle, you know, every year is different. Um, you know, I think everybody has a kind of player they like for each position and kind of what they kind of, you know, go to uh, maybe in their mind uh, a preference, but ultimately, you know, they got to be proficient in those four areas to probably play at the college level and be successful. So, um, and then if they don't have all those areas intact, can they be really good at, you know, at a couple of them that maybe offset the ones that maybe are not as strong at. Yeah, no, that makes sense. Well, let's talk a little bit more about the school. I know uh, even down here in Bradenton, talking to some of the girls on my daughter's team, and some of them don't even know the University of North yeah. Florida, and it's in their own yeah, backyard. Yeah. Well, sort of. Um, so first things first, let's talk about what, you know, me as dad is most concerned about, and that's how much is this going to cost me? Yeah. Uh, you know, and I'm not holding you to hard numbers here, but if you can just give me a, <laughs> give me an overall, uh, you know, overview of, you know, what does it cost to attend? What does the scholarship situation look like both academically and athletically? Uh, sure. Just, just overall. Yeah. And every school is a little different, but you know, in our case, um, you know, I think in general, college is expensive but the state of florida is pretty reasonable for state schools compared to the rest of the country so we're pretty fortunate in that in that standpoint so our tuition is a little over sixty five hundred dollars for the year um you know you can get to some states where it's going to be four or five times that for tuition so you know i think from a standpoint for in-state tuition that's um obviously really uh feasible um you know, nowadays. Um, so if you're looking at everything, and we always talk about the things that do encompass the cost of going to school, uh, obviously tuition and, and course fees, uh, books, 
um, meals and or room and board, right? Um, so, you know, you can go to UNF for a little over 17000 for a year if you're just coming to school here. Um, and that's kind of where academics come into play, obviously, with Bright Futures being a, a, a great thing in the state. Not necessarily always easy to get, but like if you can't achieve that, that could potentially cover that tuition cost or a percentage of that tuition cost. And then our school does have academic aid and um, you can, based on GPA and test scores, you can get additional academic scholarships that would be renewable every year as well, which obviously will help um, in many, many ways. And then obviously can, we can we can also stack that with the soccer aid if, um, if the player is on a soccer scholarship. So we typically use combinations of things. Um, soccer is an equivalency sport, unlike football and basketball where everybody gets a full ride. I think uh, if there was as many full rides as people claim there was in soccer, um, it's, it's always a, every time I hear someone got a full ride, and they may have a, a combination of things, uh, but there aren't very many players getting full soccer scholarship. It's uh, You'd have to be uh, an All-American um, player probably at most programs to achieve that status. So um, I think most student athletes are going to combine, hopefully, maybe if they're in a state like Florida, like ours, Bright Futures, possibly academic aid from the institution and soccer aid, or maybe the parents have Florida prepaid and that uses part of that. But, you know, like I said, from about standpoint, if you're just going to school here, um, it's about 17.5 if you lived on campus um, with the meal plan and everything else. Um, so that's kind of about the, that's the cost price. And, uh, you know, like nationally, that's actually pretty, pretty good. Yeah, no, absolutely. Well, you know, I've been lucky enough to to visit the campus and, and, and see it. So, but I don't want to be, uh, you know, biased in my stuff. So I'm going to let you be yeah. biased and you tell me, you know, what are some of the awesome things about, about UNF and, and that stuff that makes it unique? Well, you pointed out, we are, as many people that come to our campus call us a hidden gem and we don't want to be a hidden gem, but we, 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 we kind of fall in that category still, I think in the state of Florida and, you know, I kind of thought, why is that? You know, and I thought, well, we're in the pan, and obviously we're in the northeast uh, uh, part of Florida. So a lot of people, you know, don't get up this way maybe as much as they maybe do Orlando or Tampa area and things like that. And then we're, we are surrounded in a state that has a, uh, a lot of big schools, right? So we are one of the smaller schools in the state system as far as uh, the ones that also play Division One soccer. So we, you know, we're one of the smaller institutions and we're kind of surrounded by schools that have 50, 60, 70,000 students. So I think part of that is, you know, the football, you know, the, you know, the, the programs in the state, the name recognition. So we don't maybe have the name recognition of some of the, some of the uh, schools in the state system. But, you know, I think the biggest selling point is a couple of things. I think our campus is fantastic. It's, uh, I, I describe it as, a, it, it's built out of a nature preserve. So um, I describe it to people sometimes like if you're going to a state park. It's, um, it's not a lot of concrete, um, not a lot of big parking lots in the middle of campus. They've done a nice job of preserving the core of the campus and really lakes and you know, lot, um, you know, plants and things like that. They just kind of get that nature preserve feel. And I think the campus has done a really good job in the growth of keeping that part of it really good. I think location's another thing, you know, we're in a big city, but we're not downtown Jacksonville. So we're, you know, we're 20 minutes away from downtown. So we're closer to the beach. And so I think also location, if you're looking to be a coastal school, you know, we're about five or six miles from the Atlantic Ocean. So I think that's another selling point for us is, you know, um, especially in certain areas of the state like Orlando, where you don't actually have a beach. And then if you're a beach kid that goes to the beach all the time, we are home, well, you can do that in college too. So 
you know, I think those two things, I think the beauty of our campus is something I hear a lot about when people come on it and the location. Um, we're also right next to um, the major shopping district of Jacksonville is a huge outdoor mall, less than a quarter mile from our doorstep as well. So and I always say, you know, and, and I think things to do, you know, we're in an NFL city. Um, the Jaguars are doing a little bit better now. So that got a little bit out there. Um, this week, we have um, one of the biggest PGA Tour events in the Players' Championship right down the street from us as well. So there's always a lot of things to do close to St. Augustine, another great place to spend some time. So I think we have a great location. Um, we are not very far from most areas of the state. We're looking at two and a half, two hours to Orlando, three and a half you know, to Tampa, you know, maybe four from South Florida. Um, you can get here pretty easily. And so I think those are things that are, that are nice. And uh, you know, I think the other thing is we still, we have 17,000 students, so we're not small, but we're not massively big. And so our um, teacher, um, the student ratio is about 20 to one, which is pretty unheard of at a lot of universities. And I think uh, also nationally ranked university as well, US News and World Report. So the education quality is good. Um, there's a lot of pluses. Yeah. And I, but I agree with you. We're kind of a lot of people haven't heard about it, but once they come and see it or they find out a little bit more, I think that really they're pretty impressed by the institution and it's continuing to grow. And our housing is a hundred percent capacity. The last couple of years, we've had the two largest freshman classes in the history of the school. So uh, got some good issues to solve here moving forward with growth, but um, yeah. it's, it's a good place. No, that is, that is good. Good, good problems to have. Well, you mentioned education and, and, you know, for, student athlete student is 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 first there so let's talk about academics you know especially for a college athlete making that transition from high school to college in terms of the rigors of both sport and academics can be daunting so you know what how do your student athletes kind of manage the expectations and rigors of both and what kind of support systems does a school offer to really help players yeah, and I spent the 13 years prior to being here at Division II school, and, and I loved it, actually, because Division II really had a, I thought it had a really good balance between the academic and the athletic side, mostly by the rules in place. So um, I basically took the same philosophy here, there, to the UNF, is that, you know, how are we going to create balance for these student-athletes? Because they're in a lot of hard majors, and we have kids that are taking – biochem, biology, engineering, um, you know, they're in, some, they're in some difficult stuff. And so, and they're also really driven academically. So like our team GPA is hovers above a 3.7 most semesters and almost everybody in our incoming class has a 4.0 plus GPA coming in from high school. So we're getting high academic achievers. So how do we create that balance? And so, um, you know, I think the first thing we approach it is that, you know, soccer is a part of this experience and not the only part of the experience. So we really try to make sure that we uh, be efficient with our time um, and training and get them here, do what we need to do and get them out. So they don't necessarily have to feel like they have to hang around the facility all the time. They're more entitled to do that. They like to do that and they want to spend more time. But I also know they have a lot of academic things to do. So we really try to be really efficient um, in everything that we do as far as even game scheduling and what times we leave so we can keep them in class as much as we possibly can so they can be the best possible students that they, they can. Um, support system is really is more than I ever had because I, I again I started at my first six years at NEIA school and I was the support system there um, and I was at division two school where we had a little bit more support but here you know we have a lot more people involved at the division one level so we have someone that's specifically assigned to our team that works and helps them with their academics helps them with study, uh, getting 
um, study halls organized, tracking grades, um, being proactive with their grades just in case someone has some issues, um, meeting with them and mentoring them in addition to what we do. Um, and I think that part has been really, really good. Um, I think being a smaller D1 like we are actually creates more of a family feel than maybe some bigger schools do. And I think that's helpful as well, where the people that are working with our student athletes from our compliance, from our athletic director, um, from people in our academics area, we really know who they are. And I think that really helps as well. Um, so, you know, I think the thing that I do, and, and because of my background being from a smaller school, is I'm pretty hands-on on the academic side. Like, I'm pretty good at recognizing when someone maybe starts to struggle. Um, most times, it's freshmen who have done really well academically take a class that, and maybe for the first time in their life, maybe struggle a little bit and they don't know what to do and they don't want to say anything because they don't know what to do, right? And so we try to be really proactive in recognizing those things. And because I think we do that, because we're a smaller institution where the class structure is a little bit smaller, the instructors really know you, um, there's a lot of ways to be successful here. Now, you can go to some big, big schools, say like a Florida or Florida State, where they're going to have these massive academic buildings for support. Um, you know, we don't necessarily have that kind of structure here, but we do have good people that are willing to help them and, 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 and help them achieve their goals. And so the cool thing for us is our kids are doing super well in the classroom. If they go off to grad school, they're getting into the grad schools they want to get into in those programs because they have the high GPAs. And um, we're really proud of the academic work we do here. And it's just not just me. It's a lot of people that make that happen. No, that's fantastic. Well, let, let's talk a little bit more about the team uh, and and the soccer side of things. I, you you introduced your amazing staff at the ID clinic, but I figure uh, now's a good time to let folks know how big is your staff? What roles does everybody pay, play there besides yourself? Yeah, so we have I have two assistant coaches, and so um, a new rule just passed actually. So we're that, uh, schools are adding a third assistant. Not every school is going to be able to do that, and most likely it's only going to be the Power Fives at least initially, that's probably going to fall into that category. But, um, you know, I have a coach, uh, Coach Serge Lubavetsky, who's with me, that actually coached with me when I first started coaching in college back in 1999. So I've known him for a while. Um, he was with me for one season, and he went on to become a head coach in Division Two and uh, did some club directing and some state directing as far as um, that's concerned. But uh, national licensed instructor for U.S. soccer and uh, United Soccer Coaches. So, has a license but teaches the uh, C and D courses so he's kind of a coach of coaches so he's someone that um, he's a great tactician and very good uh, you know on the on the training field and then Morgan Lucky primarily uh, handles our goalkeepers Morgan played for me at Armstrong State which is where I was at before so she was a all-region player there and really really good player um, and so she handles primarily our goalkeepers for us and so that's kind of our staff. Um, like I said, some schools may have that plus a GA. We have the two assistant coaches. And now there's a – the volunteer position has now become a paid position um, if the school wants to. So you're seeing a lot of the SEC-type schools adding that third additional coach. Um, I'm hoping someday we'll get there. We're not quite there yet. But I'm glad to have two coaches because a lot of programs, even Division One, don't necessarily have two full-times in soccer. Um, so some have one and a graduate assistant, so we're able to have two. And so Morgan's been with me since I got the job here in 2019. Serge is going into his uh, third third season with us. So we got some stability there, which is nice. Yeah, for sure. Well, how would you describe overall your style of coaching and the team style of play? Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, for me, um, uh, 
you know, what I've learned over time, I wasn't always like this. Uh, when I was first starting coaching, I coached pretty much how people coached me. So I'm a product of the 80s, which was a lot of like, you know, raising your voice and getting on people and so forth. And I realized real quickly that it can be effective to a point. Um, and some players react well to that, but not others. So what I really worked on over the years is that you have to figure out if you have X amount of players on your roster, every one of them has a different there will be a different approach to how you coach them. And obviously you have to coach the collective group and you're going to do that a certain way. But I think from an individual standpoint, to manage people well, you have to understand personalities and what works. So there are players on our team that want me to get on them. That motivates them. And so I will get on them. And there are players on my team where I have to, you know, kind of come out of a much different way um, and explain or, you know, um, induced thinking from them or whatever it may be. And so you just have to manage everybody different. I think that's where a lot of younger coaches kind of maybe fail a little bit. They kind of just treat everybody the same and coach everybody the same. And I don't think that's effective management, but I didn't always know that. It took a while for me to get to that point to be able to do it. And now I think that's one of my strong suits is just really knowing how to manage different people. So, you know, I, I it could be, I, um, I'm, very invested in the players. I'm willing to do whatever I can to help them achieve that. I think they know that. I think that's why I'm able to typically get the best out of them. But I could be demanding as well when I need to be. I think you have to be in, in coaching, and uh, but I also know when to pull back. And so I think you see a little bit of a mix of both in that. Um, in that, and um, I think that's why overall during my career I feel pretty pretty blessed that this coached some really good teams and had some really good players that just responded really well to how I how I approached it. Um, from a style of play, I'm definitely a believer in trying. I, I know everybody says, oh, we want to keep the ball, but we really do want to keep the ball. And um, college can be a mixed bag when it comes to that. And we're really committed to trying to build and, you know, our center, our goalkeepers are all good with their feet. Our center backs can distribute the ball short, medium, or long-range passing. Our outside backs have the ability to get forward, and and our midfielders are creative. And, you know, I think uh, we, we really do try to build um, – and uh, maybe the Achilles heel of our program is when we play teams a little bit more direct, uh, we have a little more trouble. And uh, one of the things I recognize as a coach is, well, why is that? And I realize, well, if we're doing one thing every day and seeing the same thing when we play each other, when we see these other styles, we sometimes struggle. So we have to kind of, in training, create these environments of playing different ways so our team can see it. With kids that don't want to play that way, which always makes it a little bit, a little bit different. But um, again, I've evolved a little bit there too. You know, when I first started coaching, everybody was in a four-four-two. Um, you know, um, get the ball wide, cross it in. You know, that was kind of the style in, in the nineties, and you know, the games evolved a lot. Um, I think athletes are better. I think obviously, I think the coaching's improved. There's more kids playing nowadays. So, you know, we. We are definitely, like I said, we're definitely possession oriented to penetrate and, and, and try to score with a purpose. We're not just trying to keep the ball for long periods of time. We want to get the ball moving and break lines and get forward. And I think that's kind of been our philosophy from that standpoint. Um, you know, and then again, it's really depending on the personnel, what best suits us. You know, uh, my preference would be formation wise. I'm a, I'm probably a four three three guy overall. I, I like the formation um, when it's ticking. It works really well. But last year, for instance, we played 4-3-3. We played a 4-2-3-1 a good bit. We played a 3-5-2 twice, and we even played a 4-4-2 diamond one game. Um, just because we're, we are privy to more information than ever um, about our opponent. So, like, there's not nothing you 
when I was younger, we had to like call coaches, get scouting reports. You oh, didn't yeah. have tape. Yeah. Now I can watch the information we get now is crazy. So you could really, depending on your opponent and what you want to do, you can really come up and scheme things a lot differently. And so the four three three is kind of my uh kind of what I like the most. Um, like wingers that can take on people one v one, like a true nine if we if we have one that can hold the ball up and kind of play from there. But uh that's kind of our style, I would guess. I think people would say we try to keep the ball. We play better against teams that try to keep the ball as well. Um, maybe struggle a little bit more against direct teams, but uh, we're, we're working on that. <laughs> All right. Well, Coach, you've been super generous with your time. I just want to leave you with one last question, and that is if there was something, one thing that you would love to impart on uh, a potential recruit or parent of a recruit, if there's one thing you wish they would definitely know about the college recruiting process, what would that be? I mean, I think I think the biggest thing for soccer um, is you have to you have to promote yourself. You have to a you know let your let people know who you are. You know, and it's through a player resume, through email, through video, but like and be persistent in that thing. And I think the thing you have to understand is. It has to be the right fit for both parties, right? So there's players I like a lot that don't come to North Florida. So that happens on my end. And then on the flip side, there are players that would love to come to North Florida that may not be the right fit for us. And what does that mean exactly? It can mean a player that I like a lot has an opportunity to maybe play at Florida State. And they're at that, that, that level, and I'm not going to get them to come to the UNF, though I like that, right? Um, on the flip side, it may be a player that maybe is not quite at the level that we're at or – we have uh, many goalkeepers on our roster for several years, and they're a goalkeeper in a particular year. It just isn't the right fit. There's some really good players that we would like that maybe we just don't need their position. So understanding that a lot of factors go into a recruiting year, um, and some of it is just varies from year to year. And, you know, you may not need a 23 goalkeeper, but you needed one in 24 or 25, and so that 23 wasn't recruited, even though they were good enough to play here. So we decided to go in a different direction and, and, and wait a year. And those are things that are hard to tell, especially right now, because you used to be able to go on a roster and look at who's graduating. And now you go on a roster and you're wondering if they're coming back for an extra graduate year. And it's a little bit harder to kind of understand the movement of a roster, per se, um, in that. But I think the big thing is I always tell people is, you know, um, you know, make a list of schools that are that you're interested in academically and athletically. You can have some what some schools that are your dream schools in there, and then find out an answer from those dream schools so you can move on one way or the other. So if your dream school is School X, and you really think you can play at School X, find out School X wants you, and if they don't or they do, then you know, and then you can kind of move on from there. Um, I think the one other thing I would say is I think sometimes people close too many doors too quickly. So, like, I coached Division II soccer. I coached in the NEIA, and I coached Division One. So I think I have a fairly, fairly unique background as far as knowing different levels. My Division II teams regularly beat Division I teams. My NEIA team was able to beat Division II teams and some Division I teams. Don't get this caught up on the level, per se. Um, I think people do that because it sounds better or whatever it may be. You need to find the right fit. Um, for your child, your child needs to find the right fit for them academically and athletically so they can have the best possible experience. The transfer portals for a lot of players right now that maybe rushed the process, went for the big splashy name, got there and realized they were 
player 28 on the roster or is never going to see the field or whatever it may be. It's just trying to find that right fit. But you got to promote yourself. You got to get seen. You got to do the things, you know, let coaches know where you're playing, when you're playing, what number you are. And obviously, you and I spoke about this already. The most important thing is be a, you got to be a good student. I think that's really important. So soccer is great. You got to work on your game, but you got to obviously do the work in the classroom and be well-rounded from that stretch. But recruiting processes, you know, you're doing a great job of getting the information out because those, a lot of people just don't know, you know, how it works. And, yeah, it's not football and basketball. There aren't, there aren't a high, uh, 85 full scholarships. There aren't a bunch of coaches flying around watching every game on helicopters, the high school games. It's not, you know, they're not rating, you know, there's not a lot of, you know, some rating systems out there now, but they're not overly accurate in soccer where football, you got five and four stars and things like that. Um, you got to, got to promote yourself in this sport. And if you do that, you'll find a good home and have a good career and get your education and hopefully continue playing the game that you love. Great advice, Coach. Well, hey, you've been generous with your time. Really thank you uh, for joining us. Wish you the best of luck, and uh, hopefully I'll, I'll see you around the fields in Bradenton here in the not-too-distant future, all right? <laughs> Absolutely, Matt. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you.